Hey everybody, welcome to the Talking to Ourselves podcast. I'm Omid Farhang, founder at Majority. You guys, can you believe we are wrapping up year four of the Talking to Ourselves podcast? How the hell did that happen? And we wrap it up with a bang. My guest today, Patrick Milling-Smith, co-founder and CEO of renowned production company Smuggler. Named Ad Age as 2020 and Shots as 2021 production company of the year. Alongside his partner, Brian Carmody, Patrick has produced some of the most iconic campaigns of the past two decades and racked up every award known to man. And if that wasn't enough, Smuggler has also produced internationally acclaimed Broadway plays. Their credits include the eight-time Tony award-winning musical Once, Macbeth starring Daniel Craig returning to Broadway this coming spring, and Skittles commercial The Broadway Musical starring Michael C. Hall named the best Super Bowl ad of the year by Forbes. Smuggler has produced Emmy award-winning commercials for Sandy Hook Promise and Squarespace featuring John Malkovich. They did the incredible Apple film, the whole working from home thing, uh, and the list of famous pieces just goes on and on. So much so, Smuggler was recognized by Mayor Michael Bloomberg with the Made in New York Award for its creative and economic contributions to the city's entertainment industry. Patrick also served on the board of immersive theater company, Punch Drunk International, best known for Sleep No More. He is an innovator and a standard bearer for our industry. This is Patrick Milling-Smith and I talking to ourselves. Patrick Milling-Smith, where are you from? What did your parents do? I am from England for the most part. Um, made in, in, in the Middle East, actually, in, in Oman, in Muscat where my father was in the British Special Forces. Um, and my mum was a air stewardess who um, later married after my father was uh, killed out there, uh, a doctor, a country doctor. So um, there's no influences in my life that uh, point towards production or, or film or theater or advertising. Um, I don't think I even had a clue that there was an advertising industry until about two weeks before I started a job in, in a production company. A friend of mine, well, a cousin of mine was friends with uh, this guy that owned a production company in, in Soho in London. And uh, he was explaining to me that there's this whole um, microcosm of, of star directors who make commercials and you know there's this whole industry around it um and he said that you should uh, apply to be a runner and gave me a list of 20 companies didn't didn't give me didn't offer me a job for some reason but i wrote to a whole lot of uh, production companies one of them was called arden sutherland dodd which was um paul arden um who was a, a very famous creative director at the time uh, he he He's deceased now, but he was the head of Saatchi in London and did some very iconic work and then became um, a director, um, very heavily sort of art director, influenced director, made beautiful images. Um, he partnered with a producer called Nick Sutherland Dodd. And, and so I became a runner there and then somehow felt like I transitioned to a valet or something for Paul Arden as his, his assistant. And then I must have been 20 when I, when I remember him declaring on, on, on some set that he had fired the line producer that I was now his producer. And I think that was a, a combination of him 
sort of a combination of ego and and wanting to show everybody how unimportant the producer role was that he could just give it to this kid. Um, and so I fancied myself as a line producer. I didn't really know what I was doing, but um, I don't know if that much has changed in, in that regard on set. Um, and then I worked for a, worked with a comedy director who was on the roster there called Neil Harris. And uh, we did some really nice work. And I, I sent his reel to uh, US companies to see if we could get him some uh, representation in the US. And uh, Brian Carmody would have been uh, the head of sales at Satellite who liked the reel and we got to know each other and we met in Cannes and um, they represented Neil. We came out to do a PlayStation job in 2001. And uh, right when Satellite uh, Brian's company um, had sold so many times that propaganda satellite went went belly up, and uh, we continued the job from uh, from a hotel, and and then there's a sort of naivety and a fearlessness at that age where you're like, we should just set up a production company, having no clue what that really means. And, well, uh, and by the way, Patrick, I mean the the story you just told sounds like it takes place over a decade. I mean. Oh, it was quick. Yeah, you're was, roughly, you're was roughly, a couple 16, of years. yeah, you're roughly 16 years old in this hotel room. Uh, well, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 24 when, right. uh, when we decided to, uh, to open up Smuggler. Um, and you didn't know. It sounds like you didn't know Brian particularly well. You might have liked the guy, but liking somebody and making them your business partner are not the same thing. So there wasn't a huge yeah. history there. What, what was it? What was it? Did it, did it feel like an inevitability? The partnership. I think. Uh, I think that there's something at that age, you're, you're, you're probably less discerning or less, um, you don't overthink everything. Like if you're, if you're getting on well with somebody and you, you have the, you share the excitement of an idea, then you just go for it. I think as you, as you go through life and, and get more experience and possibly more jaded or more aware of the things that can go wrong or what, 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 a a business partnership really is and how long that can go on for you, you would second guess yourself. But I think we, we both inherently knew that we complemented one another. We're very different characters. And, uh, I think, I think, I think I sort of, I, I don't remember telling Brian, I was only 24 years old. I think I was acting a little bit older than that. Um, but he, you know, it, it worked out. We we got on great, and and uh, and we had a lot to learn from each other. Um, but you're right; it did all happen quickly. That was, you know, if I was starting at Arden Sutherland Dodd at 20, and then we were doing this U.S. work at I was 24, um, and then I think it was March 2002 that we started Smuggler. So um, yeah, we just leaped into it blindly. And naively, and uh, and it's it's worked out great. It's been a it's been a real adventure. And Smuggler starts out, and you're calling it a production company, but it's ultimately two guys, and these two guys are making some phone calls, and two guys turns into four guys. But you know, yeah, like like how? But that, how, but how that, long what is a production company? That that's that's what it is, really. It's right. um, it, I mean, which I always think is a good question. Like, aside from sort of having insurance and taking on sort of, you know, cash flow of things and, and uh, 
and and having some leases or or property for for convening in it's um it is just a collection of people and and i think sorry i'm i'm interrupting your question no that really was the question is like you know it, it's a collection of people and it starts out small and yeah. and then you kind of you know you convert a small opportunity into a middle-sized opportunity and convert that it's you know sort of you do it one job at a time like do you remember a a job or a sort of turning point moment where you looked up and you're like you know i think this is going to be my life's work this might not just be a chapter in in a book of a 25 year old dude i i never i never you know i never thought about it it was you know how exciting to start your own company like i felt like i had won the lottery at that moment so um there were definitely there were definitely some jobs that made us feel like oh we're 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 legit, um, but at the at the beginning it was I mean we had we had a pretty good roster of like four or five directors one of them being Ivan Zacharias who was you know an immense uh, force in Europe uh, Neil Harris um, who I mentioned and Brian Belatek who who was uh, a hot property out here too so we had we had interesting talent. Um, we did a, um, a satellite deal with a, a production company called Villains that had a great office in Beverly Hills and an office in New York. So we, we felt like we had this presence. And, and then it was, let's enjoy ourselves. Let's, let's have a no asshole policy on people we work with. And, and we were a lot scrappier than, than the, the more established production companies in the space at that time. And there'd just been a recession and there'd been obviously 9-11 and all that sort of stuff. So, so we just had a very um, can-do attitude. And I think as a line producer coming from the UK, budgets were, were always so much smaller than here. So when someone told you they had X amount of dollars, it was really exciting. It seemed like a fortune as, as you, you know, you go on and, and over the years, it seems to somehow everything seems to be more expensive than it was at that time. But um, but yeah, I never never thought like, oh, I'm committing the next 20 years of my life to this. It was, oh, what an amazing vehicle. What a great adventure um, we're on. And, and, and it was, I had nothing to lose at that point. And I think Brian probably had more to lose in the sense that, he was offered, you know, a ton of jobs as head of sales at big established production companies, but um, but it, yeah, it just it felt right from from where go, and and um, we did a good job for our directors, and other directors saw that and wanted to come and join, and and it felt like we had sort of lightning in a bottle, and and you do good work, you get a reputation for good work, you have a good attitude, you solve problems, and and then you're you're wanting to create a culture, um, that production company, you want it to be a, a sort of a culture of um, people feeling protected and part of something and, and excited. I think right. uh, um, that's probably the, the biggest part of our jobs on the side of representing directors is evangelizing, right? So, so Brian and I would, you know, you identify talent and then you you try and develop it and then you're evangelizing and, and selling it and then and then the biggest thing is protecting it much like you probably do as a creative director like sure. you can everyone can stumble across a good idea but it doesn't mean the client 
appreciates how precious that is and and how you need to protect it at every at every step um and i think that's the same with with directors um we're gonna unpack some of that you know i I started in the industry about five six years after smuggler started by the time i was in the industry i remember smuggler feeling like a pretty well-established thing Um, it still it still feels like we're brand new to me it's it's strange being uh establishment type company but it's funny, like in 2005, 2006, I might have this totally wrong, but in my memory, there was like a couple dozen production companies. I know there was more, but it felt like as when it like there was a couple dozen relevant production companies. And now it feels like there's a couple thousand production companies. Right. And 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 production was kind of relegated mostly to film. And now just the term itself takes so many different forms. Um, smugglers always manage to stay a step ahead by evolving and innovating, but deep down, do you miss the good old days called 2005, 2007, when it was mostly film or, or do you sort of embrace the constant change? Um, I mean, I, I do find, uh, I mean, obviously we prefer film, like we a lot of production companies that are built around X, uh, creatives that move into directing. And I mm-hmm. think that's, that's not ever really been our, our makeup. We, we've always been attracted to storytellers and filmmakers and, and much more craft-driven uh, directors. And so I'm, I'm not a big fan of the, the PR ideas or, or a huge amount of digital work because it, it's always, it feels, uh, the storytelling feels disposable, feels it's not that necessary for the idea, but... I think um, we have belief, and you have to have belief that that good storytelling and 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 sort of innovation in storytelling and 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 good taste and and craft does resonate. Like it's, I think, could be talked about the the difference between culture and and uh, and sort of digital nudget. You know, there's there's yeah. different. Our, our our industry is definitely uh, fragmented. Um, but there's, there, you know, there's plenty of good storytelling to go around. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't look back and think, oh, that was an easier time or we'd, I'd like to be back in 2005. Like, no, I, I've, I've enjoyed every year um, of Smuggler more than the year before. Um, I think around, what was it, around 2010 we did, um, I mean, we've always, we've always been um, quite restless in wanting to, Sort of, I think we we think more like a sort of little studio than than a traditional production company, and we had uh, we had an idea from uh, from an article I read about the Home Shopping Network and and how uh, what the audience was for that and 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 uh, how much money it generated. We were like, oh, we should we should do a Home Shopping Network for for people under fifty, and uh, we we ended up. Um, pitching that to, to Droga, who who put the Droga sauce on it and, and suddenly made it all a reality. Um, that was called Honey Shed, which was QVC meets MTV. Um, and we've always had we've always had sort of little swings at things like that. And I think as much as we, the DNA of, of of our company was always about being really interested. And and I I I, I feel strongly that. Even with my, I've got three kids, and and you can't, 
you can't put pressure on them to be interesting, but if they're interested, they're inherently good company, right? And I think that I think that's uh, that's the big part of of us as a company is uh, just being excited and enthusiastic and 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 believing anything is possible. And I think that may have been due to the just the nature of of where we were at in our lives when and where the world was at when we opened in 2002 like it really did feel like just make things possible and and i think we still have that very strongly through the company you brought up honey shed and droga 5 patrick are you at liberty to disclose smuggler's role in the founding of droga 5 Oh well, I don't, we don't really have a role a role in the founding of Droga Five. Um, I mean, it pretty much would have never happened start... without you. It would have never happened without you. Oh well, I I would like to think so, but obviously, if David listens to this, he'll have a fucking conniption. Um, but we we were doing Honey Shed, um, and David uh, was uh, working out of uh, a conference room in the little smuggler office, and uh, and he was starting an agency called Droga Five. Um, and the, we had a smuggler had a, um, a relationship with a game maker, uh, who was working for Mark Echo. And, um, and I had to go to a meeting with Mark Echo and, and ask David to come along. Um, and we were really concerned back then, if a production company was in any way, uh, stepping into the process too early, it would upset all the agencies. Now it feels like it's a free for all of people just making stuff. And uh, so we were like, oh, David's, uh, David's an ad person, an ad, ad legend. We'll take him to the meeting. And, and then uh, they wanted to, yeah, they wanted to make a film. And they had a decent budget, which we, we, we spent 90% of it on a 747 um, replica of Air Force One. And, and we, we went and made that. That was, uh, I think that, that was the Droga's first job that was, a job that definitely put us on the map. And then, um, and then Droga 5, you know, eventually moved out of the office, got their own office. And then, and then we, we moved into their office for a little bit while we oh. were renovating our next space. Um, so it was, it, it, they were really exciting times, actually. It was, uh, I, I really enjoyed that. It, it, and it was good for us as a production company to see the inside of an agency and just see how like you have a different appreciation i think like we we by the time we get sent scripts we you know 70 percent of the time we think oh, how how useless are these creatives that this idea is so watered down and, and being around an agency for a while you see again the 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 process and the amount of things that are killed and and the uh the desperation of trying to protect uh, the nucleus of some good idea um, so it was, they were all really important steps, um, for the evolution of our, of our company. But for the youngins um, at home, you know, Smuggler was involved in the creation of Honeyshed and Mark Echo, which for those who maybe are, are too young to remember are two of sort, sort of the formative pieces, the creative rocks upon which the Droga 5 that we know today were built. So, you know, there's a real sort of there's a real sort of folklore there that I I felt compelled we, to bring. We up. had a we did a great uh, sorry to talk over you. We did a great run of work there. We also did um, an amazing job um, with Ring and Nebwich, uh, may he rest in peace, for Puma, which uh, which probably put us on the map a little bit too. That won the the Grand Prix in Cannes. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's nice being um, working closely with an agency, especially at the beginning. You know, when everybody's got that real hustle going, I think that we we uh, come alive when we're when we're around people that are really hungry for it. Um, like you guys, well, you're you're pretty you're pretty relentless. Even even uh, finding myself sitting here doing this podcast, like you are an extremely per- persuasive human being. <laughs> um, uh, so you 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 know you mentioned that ultimately a company is its people, and and the measure of a production company is largely its directors, right? And um, yeah. So, you know, some of the biggest names in content are on the smuggler roster from, you know, Barry Jenkins to Catherine Bigelow to Jonah Hill. What makes a director right for smuggler? What qualities do you look for in directors that you pursue? That's a that's a very good question. And uh, one that I, I never really know the answer to because it's it's quite instinctive and and it's there's a degree of luck and timing with it, you know, like. You, you can't take on too many directors that, that need a build um, at the same time. So sometimes we might get sent a reel that's amazing, but we already have a commitment to get somebody else to that next stage. And, and obviously every director takes time and resources and attention. Um, we, as I said earlier, we, we, we like some, we like directors that are, that are, classic filmmakers not classic it's sort of dusty but like people that have a real appreciation of craft and and storytelling um and you can you're probably when you're looking at someone's spec reel or someone's music videos or their work you're often looking for the false notes you're looking and i think agencies do this too when they look at a director's reel like you appreciate the good stuff but not as much as you dislike the the bad bits you know, and so um, we we find a lot of directors off of one piece of work, one short. Or I remember um, going to the uh, Murder Ball premiere, Henry Alex Rubin's movie, and and he was just so articulate and uh, and and had such a good energy to him. I remember thinking, oh, he'd be he'd be amazing with in advertising. Um, also, that film, that documentary, which which lost out to March of the Penguins, which is a cinematic classic, um, that film didn't have a single false note in it. It was a it was a sports movie. It was brave. It was, and I think I, I, I'm drawn to that. I'm drawn to directors that can can get performances that feel really true. I like uh, I do like directors that have a an understanding or appreciation of documentary um, documentary work. Because uh, that's a real skill set to be able to get something believable or some truth out of real people, um, and uh, yeah, I, it, it's it's timing. Oh, and sorry, a big a big part of it is: um, do you want to spend time with this person? Do you want to have this person's back? Do you think that person, you know, represents the the company? the way we want the company to be represented. Like, um, so a big, big part of it is personality and aptitude. I mean, maybe even 50% of it is, um, you can, you can be the most talented, uh, person in the world, but if you're innately too precious, um, or, or don't know how to bring the room along, you know, don't know how to bring everybody along on your, on your own genius, 
uh, on that path, then you're just, uh, it's just too, too, too much of a grind. It's too difficult. It's funny when um, I look at the roster, my eye is drawn to the directors I named who are sort of the celebrity who, who kind of entered the roster already as celebrities, but they're sort of outliers, I guess, is what I'm hearing. It's like a lot of the directors on the roster, the sort of, you know, um, Bellatech and Chris Smith and Guy Shelmerdine. I mean, these are guys who are famous in the world of advertising, but they made their name, yeah. you know, one project at a time. And you guys all met as young men and you, you went through this, this yeah. journey together. Um, so it, it, it's interesting. You remind me almost of like, uh, you know, there's sports franchises that are like, or even the way I think about talent is like, I, I don't we, we, Brian and I uh, uh, talk about it, uh, talk about the roster, like uh, a sports, a football team, soccer yeah. team to, to your audience. Uh, a lot of the time it's, um, it, it's also how does the roster complement um, the rest of the roster and, and, you know, what, what sort of uh, board flow do you have in and how can you create opportunities for, for other directors on boards that come in for someone that might be unavailable. Um, it's uh, you, 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 yeah, you're, you're, with a so good, you're yeah. Go I was going to say with, with a soccer team, you're thinking about um, the sum of, you know, the, the, the sum of the parts to create this cohesion among teammates who are kind of in it for a common cause, but you know, at a production company, it's not so much about the, the different directors, you know, playing together for a common cause as much as, is it, is it more about just not having directors who are redundant so that it doesn't create conflicts? Well, it's, no, you have a lot of, I mean, listen, we've got six or seven directors that could do the same board or would be a, a really interesting sell to an agency for a certain idea. I think schedules usually fall into place that you don't have um, redundancies like that. But the, the roster also, I mean, we have a, a mentorship program, um, which, which we're very proud of. Um, just as we try and sort of bring in different voices and younger younger directors and, and whatnot. And then the directors have always, um, most of them, I mean, there's there's some that, you know, never see anybody because they're busy on features or whatever, but it, it's, a, it's a pretty good uh, community of people sort of reaching out to each other for advice or, or um, it's, it's very supportive. And I think, you, we think about that often. I mean, we've had some some huge directors over the years that we've spoken to and just thought that will just uh, innately sort of upset the apple cart a little bit or just the personality-wise would just change the culture of the company. So we're, we're definitely um, very judicious about who we bring in and, and always trying to protect that essence that I'm not doing a very good job of... of uh, describing so when you if you talk about what you look for in a director and it's a mix of kind of instinct and timing and charisma and hunger mm -hmm. you know if that's what you're looking for what do you owe the director what should the director be looking for in a production company is it just about a steady stream of opportunity like what sort of service do you provide to a director when the relationship is right well it's very it's very hands-on it's sort of we we um you really, the, the best examples, you're really very much in each other's lives, right? Like it's a, it's a, a lifestyle being a director and, and um, we, we always want our offices to feel like a, a, a good, safe, creative space uh, for people to go work out of. Um, and then there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of management. There's a lot of, you know, you want the everyone at the company to be able to give good advice and, and be a real partner to that director. And that, from everything from helping make treatments great to talking through how to do a good call to giving the background on the people they're talking to and making sure they've seen the work that the creatives have done. And um, it goes it goes on and on. Um, yeah, really support opportunities. And and, and often we, we say to, to directors that especially at that that early moment in a career, you're you're often your career is often as good as it's as good as what you say no to as much as what you say yes to, right? Like you've got to you've got to be able to see the bigger picture and 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 be brave enough, which is which is really hard um, for directors starting out to to not work for a while. And I think that right. um, it, it's hard. It's hard to, you know, everyone needs to earn a living and pay rent. Um, but generally, like, we, we, wouldn't have, um, we wouldn't have signed that director if we weren't confident that they were going to get, you know, proper business going. But at the beginning, you just, you have to be judicious and, and you, you have to make sure you put yourself in the right um, situations and i think that's a big part of a production company guiding that and, and helping um somebody hold their nerve on that a little bit and then when you get the opportunity you need to know the the the, the weak points and the strong points of, of that director you need to know them in and out and, and and you need to make sure they're protected and and uh and supported i want to come back to the the partnership between you and brian because you know, you've been at it for 20 years now. You were in your mid-20s when you started the company together. He was a little bit yeah. older than you, but but now you're in your mid-40s. And, you know, I'm in my early 40s. 41-year-old Omid probably wouldn't enjoy hanging out with 21-year-old Omid. We change a lot that's, that's, from that's our hilarious. 20s to our 40s. And, and so now you've been yeah. at it with Brian for, for 20 years, and it's like a marriage. You know, you sort of, you either grow together or you grow apart, and there's kind of nothing in between. Talk about just the evolution of a, of a 20 year business relationship where the two of you, you know, are, are, are literally growing up together. Well, um, that's funny. I've always, I've always thought the same thing. Actually. I used to, I remember when I was 27 or 37, I, I would say that if 17 year old Patrick bumped into 37 year old Patrick, he'd probably punch me in the face. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I, for me, every, decade actually i've enjoyed it more than the one before like i i like being i'm 44 i like being in my 40s more than i did my 30s 30s more than 20s and i think a lot of that's tied to the the adventure of the company and and the things we're doing and and i probably there's a there's a big degree for everybody i think in creative industry or you know production or or, or most vocations actually you you feel like you're faking it till you make it and and I, I'd say in the last couple of years for myself personally, it's, I've just started feeling age appropriate or experience level appropriate to do the job I'm doing really well. And that's really uh, reinvigorating um, to sort of feel like there's a different confidence to what you're doing. Um, and the, the relationship with Brian, I, I couldn't even imagine doing any of this without him as a partner. You know, and I think that's, and and when people ask how we divide the workload, like there's never a clear delineation of who's doing what. It's a very instinctive, just 
natural, like one of us will pick up the slack for the other or we'll both be focused on different things. But it's uh, there's an emotional support to that too. Like having, um, just having a partner um, in, in a, a business, which is quite emotional and it's about relationships and it's about um, highs and lows. Like it's, uh, it's very steadying. And, and I think, again, the, the, the difference in our characters, um, from my side, um, he's a godsend in, uh, in just his, his, he has a sort of uh, a Yoda wisdom to him, Brian, very, uh, I think it's, it's something to do with being uh, one of seven kids from Ireland growing up running a bar. Like he's a great, uh, great listener. He, hears, he, he listens, which is a very rare um, skill set, I think, these days. Uh, but it's, sorry, but it's, it's obviously like, it's like any long-term relationship. Like it's, it's, you know, it's testing, but, um, but it's well worth it. You're not going to um, tell us about the time you guys got drunk and fought in the ocean in can or something. We never fought in the ocean because, because he wouldn't stand a chance. Um, <laughs> he's quite, he's, he's too short, but, um, but we de- over the years we definitely like you know we have as you said we've we've grown up together um, I certainly have and um, and there's a lot of yeah you know each other so well and 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 bad habits uh, have to be um, addressed and um, I can't I mean I can't think of a a juicy example of of friction you know like it's it's always worked out pretty I I. I think I would be too impetuous to do it on my own. Um, and then sometimes maybe Brian needs a little bit of impetuousness, you know? So there's a, there's just a, a very good alchemy um, of us together. In addition to filmmaking, you obviously have a passion for the theater. Smuggler famously produced the Tony award-winning musical Once. Uh, you're currently producing uh, Macbeth with Daniel Craig. What is it about the theater that you're drawn to and I guess my the question I'm more interested in is how crazy did it initially seem for Smuggler to be entering this sort of sphere of the theater that has its own ecosystem of insiders and power players and and often comes with significant financial risk yeah I I, I guess um from outside the tent it all looks nuts and if we were more self-aware at the time and less naive we would have been paralyzed by realizing why we shouldn't do it. Right. But uh, again, it's sort of, it's been that type of journey where you just will, you know, if, if you're excited by something, you find a way to make it work. And, uh, and the idea of, of doing once came, um, came across our lap. And we we had a, a good friendship and a now great long-term partnership for the theater work with uh, a producer called Barbara Broccoli, who is a legend in her own right. And I remember Brian and I thinking with the with the with once, which was our, our second show actually, but our first musical, uh, we we were just determined not to make a, a cult classic into a jazz hands Broadway show that would ruin the whole. Um, pedigree and history of it um, and someone um, suggested uh, a writer called Ender Walsh who uh, is is one of the 
best living playwright uh, of our time. And he had written uh, a movie called Hunger for Steve McQueen. And I just watched it and thought that was amazing. And, and we thought, well, Endo would be great. He'll even make something completely impenetrable and too dark, or it will be amazing. Like there would be, there's no, there will be no cheesy version of it. And, and like, much like in, in our core business of, of advertising, it's if, if the writing is good, um, everything else just falls into place. Like if we get a great book, um, we'll find a great director. And, and we did with John Tiffany. And then the great director has great instincts in finding a great cast and, you know, putting together a great crew. And, and it, it, it actually seems quite easy when you don't overthink it all. Like if, if and, and also for, for everything we do, you have to, Put it, put it against that lens of, does this really have a reason to exist? Or are we just trying to, like, are we talking to ourselves and um, trying to... Nice one. Thank you. That was very, very elegant, yeah. subtle. Um, yeah, does it, have, does it have a reason to exist? And, and that one did. And, uh, and then we, we're doing um, another musical, which we, we were going to open uh, and then um lockdown kicked kicked in so we're now uh, taking it to boston to to see how it fares before we bring it back to broadway that's called sing street which is also based on a on a fantastic movie um if you haven't seen it and then um and then obviously barbara has uh, a very close relationship with uh, daniel uh through her her bond franchise um and so that that that's created a great opportunity to, to do Macbeth with a director called Sam Gold that we've actually made some commercials with and produced a play of his um, called Seminar, I think 12, 14 years ago. So, um, so it's nice that that's, that's coming full circle. I mean, I remember meeting you on a set as a copywriter uh, in the mid 2000s. And then a couple of years later, I was watching the Tonys and I see this dude in a tuxedo up accepting the tour. And I was like, I fucking know that guy. Um, Were you really watching the Tonys? I was. I love, I love the Tonys. Yeah. I love the Tonys. Um, Um, And, uh, and, and, and I have to wonder, like after you've been on stage collecting, collecting a Tony, does it sort of, is it, is it hard to, uh, to, to muster enthusiasm for a one show pencil or a can lion after that? um, I've, I've always found the one show, um, slightly hard to get excited about, um, but can, I, I, it's the, it's always been the gold standard and, and yeah, I, I don't think about it like that. Um, you, I think there's a, we all are driven by, you know, a dose of enthusiasm and also a dose of fear, right? Like you, you, you know that you have to be creating work that is award-winning work. Otherwise, you're going to cease to be relevant. What do you think is the key to a, a successful process where the agency, the production company, and the client are all satisfied with the outcome? Do you see after 20 years some patterns where you know um, successful successful outcomes all seem to share similar qualities? Yeah, I think. Well, I I think when agencies uh, call up a production company and and start referring to you as 
a partner, uh, it's usually because they want you to do something for free, right? <laughs> so I think that like, like any business, um, relationships um, count for something, right? And you just can't get to know everybody and have a relationship with everybody. So it's just there's a degree of, of luck to that. Or, 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 um, but it, I think it's about being honest with each other. I think that for, I mean, I remember for, for a long while with the, with the Droga 5 stuff, the, the pressure of like, if, if we were, if we made something that wasn't good, you know, knowing David and the creative directors, like it would somehow be blamed on us, you know? So we had a very, it was a, it was a very pure, uh, honest relationship where we'd say, oh, we don't think we can make that great, or we don't think that's for us. And, and I think the, the more production companies can do that, which is difficult because there's obviously financial pressures and, and everything else. But I think an independent production company at its best serves as a, um, a mirror and, and a, um, a truth. Um, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but agencies need that. They need, they need a, a gut check on, you know, you're, you're, you're too deep in it and you don't realize that this, this idea has, has gone to, through too many iterations or, um, so, so the more honest we can be with, with our agency clients, the better, because then we're, we're all, no one's bullshitting. We, we all believe it's going to be great. And if you all believe it can be great, then I, I really strongly, um, believe that you can will it, um, you know, just by working your ass off and, uh, and, and being very focused on it. I think, um, there's, there's a friction too. I think you want, as a production company, you want your directors to always be respectful and, and understanding of, of what they're there to do. But you also don't want to um, be too overly accommodating because, you know, a lot of um, agency clients that, you know, that's their agency of record. Um, you know, there's, there's a huge amount of pressure on, on that client. Uh, paying a retainer and 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 you need somebody in that equation who's not um, reliant on that client for their next rent check to be able to say that casting's ridiculous or this idea has become watered down or I, and I think um, and I think the better agencies um, the the agencies that do the best work know that it's um, it's not just a, a of a service vendor, like they know that they want to hire somebody, uh, a, you know, a company and a director that that has a strong point of view, and uh, and the support, and 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 is surrounded by um, the support to to actually voice that point of view and fight for things. And and some of the some of the work we're most proud of has been, you know, very uh, emotional fights to the very end of of edits and whatnot. And and not always, you know, often. Um, an agency cut is often better than a director's cut, but sometimes the other way too, you know. Right. Um, and and I think I think that's always going to be the advantage that independent production companies have over in-house um, production at agencies. Like it makes sense for 
a lot of stuff to just be done through a studio. But I think when it comes to um, bettering your idea with with independent quality, really strong storytellers, um, I I don't know. I I haven't seen that much uh, in house work that I'm jealous of. I no, I mean the, the in-house agency. Anything, I'm the in-house in agency. I'm sure has at times presented itself to people like you as an affront to what you do or a minimization of what you do, in theory. But don't you feel like in practice, what it really is is it's it's an apparatus to do the things that you don't want to do or that the projects that you don't want to take or yeah, or I, don't I, have enough money or time. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, and I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think of it as a, as a huge threat. I just think that it's, um, yeah, I, I agree. It's, uh, there's a lot of content stuff. I mean, that's a, that's a word that I hate cheap, but there is a lot of just that sort of disposable, um, content right. that, uh, that we don't want to do. So. Yeah. And the point of the, you know, one of the great privileges you've earned is to be selective about the projects that your company takes. It's funny. You talk about that process of sort of setting a certain standard and being willing to fight for it. It reminds me of, of being at Crispin and winning a large uh, account on craft. And then it kind of felt like, well, you know, we've hired the avant-garde hot shit agency. Now we're going to, you know, congratulations, you won the business. Now we're going to teach you how we do things. You're going to go through our procurement process. You're yeah. going to follow our rules and guidelines. And it's like, you know, the hiring of us is not the accomplishment. It only works if you put some trust in the way that we approach things in ways that you've never done before. And of course it needs to be collaborative. And of course we need to become, um, we need to be curious about the business and be adaptable to circumstances. But like, if you're gonna hire Brian Belatech or Guy Shelmerdine and stand over his shoulder, you know, and it's like, why don't you yeah. just fucking direct it yourself, right? I mean, before agencies hire a director, they ask multiple directors often to write a director's treatment. And this process, for all the ways that we've talked about how the industry has changed, this process has remained pretty much unchanged for decades. Uh, is it a good process? Is it a flawed process? Is it an unfair process? It's it's a, it's a good process. It's a flawed process. It's an unfair process. It's um. Sometimes, I mean, there are, there are, listen, I get it. Like if you, you want to get three distinct takes on something, it becomes annoying when um, you're pitching on just bad ideas and they want you to work as creatives and, uh, and rewrite their idea. But, but in regards to like just listening to three directors' takes on it, I mean, I think more than that um, takes the piss a little bit, but I think the three bidding thing is is fine sometimes i i would like um to charge the agency or client for the uh, thousands of dollars of time spent by various people putting together treatments but i i don't see that happening anytime soon um it's it's you know what it's frustrating if it's not that frustrating if you're winning the majority of the jobs i guess if you're losing the majority of the jobs that's that's then it's a very irritating um free labor situation well and to that end i mean shit almost every job pits you against probably roughly the same handful of production companies that are in your you know echelon um how much competitiveness do you feel toward your sort of long-standing contemporaries in the space do you do you ever reach a point in your career where 
not getting the job bothers or hurts you any less? Um, no, I think it, it, it's. Uh, I think that's the way you're built. I think losing a job is always uh, um, irritating, but but we have short memories, you know. I think you 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 the the ones that don't work out, you quickly forget. Um, I think. I mean, production companies are. You know, I always think the production company um, EPs and owners. Are, it's like a true den of thieves. That some some of them. But we have a, a respect for for our our key competitors, um, and and it's not really that small a handful of of production companies anymore. I mean, I'd say there's there's a good twelve to fifteen um, out there that that you you know that do a really good job. Um, I mean, I think there are four or five top ones, um, and then there are um, a handful more that have some really uh, interesting talent there, um, but uh, you know I've got I'm full of respect for you know, MJZ and Anonymous and um, Biscuit, and you know I think they all do uh, an amazing job. Yeah, we've talked about you know constantly. Not that, not that amazing. Well, I mean, yeah. it's no yeah, small. I mean, they do they do what they can. They all do a passable job. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, we've talked about how how you've thought about kind of constantly evolving the company and and adapting to a changing environment, and and as the industry is finally starting to reckon with its lack of diversity, how has Smuggler responded to this moment of kind of necessary change in our industry and thought about talent a little bit differently, maybe than in years past? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a, a massive um, awakening, I think. For, for most people in our industry, um, I felt you know I wish we we had done it earlier, but I think you know maybe it's been a couple of years now of really trying to um, be more representative as a company, and I think uh, the mentorship um, is a key element. I think that you know all the directors want to um, want to feel like they're they're helping the next. Um, wave of, of voices come through and, and they're on the right side of history and, and they're leaning in. Um, so that's been, um, that's been really, uh, it's probably the thing I'm most proud of the company actually is just seeing how the sort of the established uh, slightly longer in the tooth uh, directors have sort of embraced um, the, the directors that are at the beginning of their careers. Um, but I feel like we're we're very uh, between Smuggler and Division Seven. I think we're 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 very representative um, of the world we live in right now, and and we have some fucking really exciting, um, fresh uh, voices coming through. Um, so yeah, Patrick, we end every episode with the same three questions. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, question number one: You may have already answered. What is the word or phrase of advertising or production jargon that makes your skin crawl the most? You mentioned content. I wonder if there's one that makes you makes your skin crawl even more than content. Uh, yeah, I think content might be the worst one for me. Um, and I guess um, assets, <laughs> you know, like uh, when when you're when you're told of the the huge amount of assets you're going to need. Um, that's pretty uh, demoralizing and, and depressing. Um, 
I think any, I, I think I'm turned off by any um, phrases that just seem too um, corporate. Um, and in our uh, our industry, I mean, it's it's buzzwords from aspirational to you know. But I'd say content and assets uh, are the uh, most disheartening of the lot that I can think of right now. We've done fifty something episodes. Assets might be my my favorite answer to that question, uh, and the first time we've heard it. Uh, question number two: What is the most memorably fucked up thing you've ever heard a client or creative director say in a pre production meeting? We're, we're too we're too um, professional to to answer that question honestly, but um, I I truly think that we forget the the fucked up bad situations pretty quickly um and i i can't there's nothing that comes to mind that's like oh that's a great story of someone behaving really badly i think we pride ourselves on just not getting into those situations um i mean sure that there, there have been some idiotic things um said over the years but far less than than one might imagine Sorry, I know that's not a very exciting answer. No, it seems like um, you guys are selective and so you don't find yourself in the production meeting where all of a sudden an ECD who you who 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 no one has met yet, you know, voices his dismay that this project even exists. Like you guys seem like your your sort of radar is up early in the process to make sure well, that Well, we we do we do little yeah, we do little things like um I mean cuz we're aware enough that there will be an ECD that hasn't read the script uh for eight weeks since it was first sent to him and is suddenly being asked to weigh in on a treatment i've done that. so w yeah w i'm sure you have <laughs> so we'll we'll always make sure we put the script inside the treatment it's like you're, you're trying to make everything as idiot proof as possible and that's not because people are idiots it's because everybody is so busy and and i i know it myself when i'm looking through decks and you know um as a, as a general rule, I always find the longer the deck that comes through, the worse the idea is. Um, it's it's really refreshing to uh, when someone sends you a script and it's you know a cover page and then a script rather than the um, all the all the uh, positioning right. um, stuff that goes before it. And that that makes me um, makes me realize sometimes that production companies we're not really in advertising like you're in advertising like like it's with agencies are you know we we obviously want to produce work and tell stories that are really good advertising ideas but that's not really on us you know what's on us is to make the film really watchable and and engaging and 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 help it earn an audience but it doesn't always mean that it's a great marketing idea. And I, I think there is a, we're, we're in different businesses, even though we're all in the same industry. Sure. We're, we're in different businesses, production companies and, and uh, agencies. Final question, the one that got away. What was the project you were supposed to produce, you were supposed to make, but for whatever reason, it never came to pass. But to this day, it sort of still lives in your heart or haunts your dreams. Um, I'd like to have put the, uh, I mean, it's really, they're really more on the entertaining entertainment front. Like, um, 
and I sort of live thinking, well, maybe that'll be possible in the future. There was a there was a book that we optioned with Todd Field that we almost got made called Beautiful Ruins, which I think would have been an exceptional film. Um, we we almost brought the kids stays in the picture, which we we put on at the Royal Court in London play. We almost brought that to Broadway, it didn't quite happen, but never say never. Um, I mean, there are there are great spots that that we may have lost over the years, but there aren't many uh, occasions where the end result was so bad that it haunts you. Like, you know, when you don't win a job often, you know, that people are choosing somebody that has put in a better treatment or is more appropriate for it. Um, trying to think it's a, I, I think I'm pretty good at blocking out the, uh, the failures from my memory. Well, you just bring up a good point, though, which is when you're watching primetime television or you're watching the Super Bowl every year, you're seeing something that you probably bid on that you didn't get. How often yeah. do you watch something that you didn't get and think to yourself, well, they fucking nailed it versus watch it and go, ah, oh, they blew it. We, we would have done such a better job. Is it 50 50 or or maybe maybe a little bit more skewed towards they should have gone with Smuggler. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to contradict myself now, but I think it's probably, you know, 80-20. I think 80% of the time, I think, God, <laughs> they fucked that up. Um, but but maybe maybe we're, uh, we're biased like that. But um, yeah, that is tough. You know, when, when, you, when you see a great, like we obviously know our directors better than, than an agency knows our directors. And so when you see... Um, a director that wouldn't put them in a situation, wouldn't put themselves in a situation to fail, and is really lit up and excited by that idea, and puts in a good treatment, a good call, then it's it's very disappointing to to not win it. Um, and then when you see it, you, you've got a natural prejudice um, to thinking how much better it could have been. But I think we all have to be built like that, otherwise uh, we wouldn't be good at what we do. Yeah, it's cheap fuel that keeps the engine yeah. running. Yeah. yeah, cheap, cheap fuel indeed. Yesterday, um, you called me and and said you'll do the podcast, but if you sound dumb, I'm not allowed to air it. So we're we're at the end. How are you I, feeling? Are we okay? Are we okay to post this? I stand by that. It definitely needs uh, definitely needs an edit. Yeah, um, but that was I really enjoyed that. Um, I'll edit out the I'll edit out the whole middle part about smugglers foray into pornography and big tobacco advertising. People don't need to hear that well, stuff. Well, we we would be open to both if uh, <laughs> if there are any clients uh, listening. I just need to say this before we go. You've produced some of the work that's defined and redefined our industry over two decades, and you've set a standard for some of the best of what we can do creatively. And uh, when I was a junior copywriter at CPB, you were really kind and encouraging to me. You probably don't even remember that, but it is true. And I've watched and admired you ever since, and it was a great thrill to see you collecting a Tony and um, huh. and I'm and I'm glad to know you and call you a friend, man. So just thank you for that's joining a, me today. That's so incredibly generous, and uh, and it means the world to hear that. It's very humbling. So thank you, thank you so much. I feel the same way back. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. Great. Talk soon. Bye. Okay. Thank you so much to Patrick Milling Smith. Thank you to JSM Music and the executive producer of this podcast, Mr. Jeff Fiorello. And I'd like to send a little extra love to the Fiorello family as they grieve the loss of a loved one. Hey, if you're enjoying the podcast, as always, please subscribe, rate, review, share it with a friend or colleague. And until we talk again, happy holidays and peace.